Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello again, Liberty listeners. Here we are today with um, somebody really special. We're reaching out to our New York crew. And this morning we're with Iman Ubu. Um, And Iman has two platforms that she's going to share with us. Iman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Why don't you share with our listeners, just give them a brief description of the two ventures, both Entrepreneurs in Vogue and Sway. Yeah, definitely. So I, it all started with the podcast I started two years ago called Entrepreneurs in Vogue, um, which I launched immediately after I won the competition of Miss New York United States. And so for those that are not familiar with that, it's a beauty pageant um, that basically elects the state t- title holder for Miss United States pageant, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with watching Miss Congeniality. So that's how yeah. I <laughs> Um, but so I won that title and immediately I realized, okay, so I'm here new in New York. I had just moved, I think less than a year prior to that to New York. I knew nobody. I didn't really have a network and I didn't have, um, role models or guidance. So I realized I have a platform that could potentially be powerful in helping me, um, you know, share my voice, share my passion, but at the same time, uh, share other women's voices and stories with, the whole world. So immediately podcast made sense because one, it was easier to um, execute on while you have a full-time job. And at the time I did. And two, I didn't really need much training for that. And it was a medium that most women were comfortable with because you don't need to come in on camera and you don't need to get ready for it. You just come in, talk about your story and you, you get going and you know how that goes. Um, I do. I do. So, <laughs> and to my surprise, uh, the podcast was on, on number two on iTunes two weeks after launching. And it was recently um, ranked in the top five best podcasts for women entrepreneurs um, by Inc and she knows and other media platforms as well. So I realized, all right, this wasn't just a hobby anymore. This is definitely something that is needed among the women, especially the millennial women right now. We love to get our voices heard. We love to inspire other women and uplift each other. And we love to really um, share our struggles and challenges and be real about it because it inspires other women to keep going. So because of the success of Entrepreneurs in Vogue, I decided to quit my career and full-time job and actually expand on the content we did on the podcast into a full-on media platform that would include editorial features, profiles, how-to pieces, and um, other types of content that will really continue inspiring women on all different platforms. And eventually, we are moving forward to launch videos. But the platform is called Sway.com. It's with two A's. Um, And I officially launched last November. 
and now it's almost a year old. Um, and That's it's been awesome. quite a journey being in the media world. <laughs> Congratulations. And just uh, for our listeners, we will have both of uh, Iman's platforms listed in the show notes. So if you didn't get that, don't worry. You can head to uh, libertyforher.com and we'll have it all down there. Um, that's awesome, Iman. Thanks for sharing those. And we're going to get into a little bit more on the nitty gritty side of each of the platforms. And so why don't you, I mean, you shared a little bit of, uh, in the podcast, sort of it was easy entrance in terms of barriers of entry. You could access it without having to worry about, um, you know, how, how to get the interviewees in the door and hair and makeup and all that. You're absolutely right to say that it's, it's, a, it's a very unintimidating platform. And when you are listening to people's voices and listening to people's stories, there's something strangely intimate about not being able to, to see them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one of the successes of podcasts in general. Um, what, when you originally did this, was the intention just to collect a, a series of stories you, you mentioned, especially for millennial women was something that you said, was it really just, I want to be, I want to create something for me and, and my tribe, um, or, or was there something else to pursuing the podcast? It was, to be honest, it was very selfish <laughs> to begin with. Yeah. It was my, mostly for me because I had initially, uh, prior to that, launched a skincare business while I was in graduate school because I'm Moroccan um, and I saw kind of the rise and popularity of organ oil and all these Moroccan essential oils really taking over the skincare industry. And I grew up using those. So I'm like, wait a minute, I can do that. <laughs> you know, I'm Moroccan. Yeah. I That's my stuff. <laughs> Right. That's my stuff. I need to be the one successful from it. Um, so I did that and I sadly partnered with the wrong people. I mean, I was 23 years old. I didn't really know much about business. I didn't really know where to begin, how to read contracts, how to talk to manufacturers and how to market my product once it's ready. All that stuff. I really never studied. I, again, just for background for your listeners, I come from the, me the medical world. So I'm a, a biomedical engineer by training. And that was my prior career. So it was everything engineering, tech, um, biotech, and cancer research. So business was not in my world. Um, and then, you know, after that, after it all failed, I had moved to New York to start over. And I was like, the way to learn this without having to go and pay $200,000 for an MBA in Colombia is to just interview women that are successful at it and learn from them firsthand. Like, talk to me, tell me how you did it. Exactly. Give me your secrets. Talk to me about the struggles that you faced and challenges and how you were specifically able to overcome those. So I can know for myself when I, next time I launch a business. So initially it was for me to really learn firsthand and get this MBA without having to pay for it yeah, and uh, learn from a network of women that were really good at it and have struggled themselves. Um, and now they, they came on top and they're successful. And then eventually as I, as it progressed, I realized, all right, these women are also loving to share their stories because no one is asking them about it. You know, even when you do get an interview with a big media platform, a lot of it seems like an overnight success. A lot of the reporters ask, especially women, how do you balance work and having kids or how do you stay fashionable? Like it's, it's very shallow when it comes to interviews 
with women, successful women CEOs and business women. So, and my type of interviews were very focused on like the real talk behind it. Let's talk about the struggles. Like, how did you do it? And they were kind of surprised to see how interested I was in the nitty gritty of building that business and their personal stories. And that's why, you know, a lot of them really appreciated being on the show, even though I was a nobody at the time. And you're reaching out to all these CEOs that are really busy and they giving me time of the day. I felt flattered, but then I realized it's also a great way for them to share um, their stories with a bigger audience of women and to inspire other women. This is how you pay it forward. Yeah, and they're um, mentoring all of those people mm-hmm. that they're speaking to and your ability to ask some of those questions and to get into the nitty gritty also reveals um, a little bit about kind of how difficult it was for them and the things that they had to overcome. So it it, it sort of enhances their story, if you will, mm-hmm. and ends up being a mentoring platform. All those different people that were, in, in addition to you, that were listening to those stories are being mentored and are being sort of carried along this this path um, and and able to choose, shall I make that same mistake and do that same thing or should I learn from this person that Iman is interviewing and and watch out for that obstacle. So that's awesome that you were able to 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 bring that to so many um, so many people that were hungry for that. And you said something earlier, you said, um, you know, to be honest, it was selfish and I think some of the best businesses resolve, an issue that we have ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. They overcome a problem that we have. So kudos to you for taking that on and, and bringing, bringing that forward. Um, obviously the success of it is because so many people were hungry for that. So you Mm -hmm. talked a, a bit about, um, how from the podcast, you probably became aware of the need to continue the media or the medium. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, then establish sway. How has it been different to go from, you know, from the podcast to a digital medium that, uh, you know, required a different kind of content and required um, this constant ongoing uh, need for words and for pictures and for engaging people in a, in a particularly noisy environment? Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't just happen overnight. I, I spent a year basically turning the podcast into a blog. So before I jumped into Sway.com and actually launching a whole new brand, I gave it a try by expanding Entrepreneurs in Vogue into entrepreneursinvogue.com blog, oh, okay. where I started working with interns uh, and you know journalists. Uh, that were looking just for that experience and to increase their content portfolio and whatnot. And I worked with interns in, in journalism school to start producing. Well, I started writing myself. So I started off writing the blog myself. And then as it got you know more and more audiences, I had to 
pump out more and more content so I couldn't do all the writing by myself while managing a full-time job that was very demanding. So I went on to put out some ads out there about, you know, looking for interns to, uh, who want to increase their experiences and get writing experience specifically about women in business, uh, entrepreneurship, you know, self-development and very smart content. And so I lucked out and got some very awesome young women who helped me uh, put together content calendar for it and write up pieces on a daily basis almost. And also they were interviewing other women outside of my podcast or they would turn my podcast interviews into an actual feature on the blog. So I kind of got my hands dirty um, while doing the blog portion, because if I messed up, no one cared. It's not an actual <laughs> company. Yeah. I'm not hiring people. Um, and because that also started doing really well. And I was like, I'm actually really getting good at this planning content and really finding the right pieces to write about the right women. Um, and it's getting traction. Why don't I turn this into an actual startup media brand where I do go and raise money for it and do this the right way, you know, yeah. because clearly there's an appetite. I kind of proved it. Um, I didn't know it was going to be, I mean, obviously I knew it was going to be hard, but it, it would take a lot longer to even get people to invest in you because you definitely have to bootstrap for a lot longer than you always think. Um, but so the, the blog portion was definitely my stepping stone before I launched the actual media platform. So it helped me kind of get the right training and really know what my weaknesses are if I were to run this kind of business. And then where do I look for those weaknesses or for the people that would complement my strengths? So sorry, it sounds like you learned quite a bit from the, your early days with the, um, with the beauty uh, brand that you said, Mm -hmm. I didn't know that much about business. And here you are now making decisions um, that are very much uh, in the business realm and require that sort of acumen. And it came from experience. And so mm-hmm. um, it's nice to be able to look back on those things and say, okay, they served a purpose. And now look at my ability to um, identify where I'm really good and need to be at the helm and where I need to bring in other people. So Yeah, uh, and, and a lot of times I think with founders and business people, they have this big vision that it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's good. You always have to have the big picture and you have to stick to it no matter what. But oftentimes people try to right off the bat, jump in and achieve that big vision from the first year, mm-hmm. which never happens. And that's just setting yourself up for disaster. It's all, you have to do it in very small steps, even if it starts with like a little small blog or, and I wish I knew that when I launched the skincare business, because I wouldn't have gone and made, you know, almost 5,000 units from a product and worked with a big manufacturer and everything. And then when I tried to get into the market, I had no audience. I had no customers. I had no experience. So instead I would go back and just build a small little audience, even from a small skincare blog that you start, you know, and at least you build up a good, even if it's a a thousand people that signed up to your newsletter, there you go. You have a thousand people that you can start marketing your product to right off the bat. So it's always good to remember that before you launch a business, you need to have somewhat of an established foundation. And that means an established audience that will really care about your product. And we've heard, um, we've heard that in other podcasts, um, in particular from writers, those people who don't identify themselves to be, 
um, entrepreneurial or business people. And I always say, yes, you are, because you had to first establish a platform. You had to first find people who wanted to hear what you had to say. Now, when you publish a book or put out, whether it's published by a major publisher or you self-publish, now there's a group of people who are clamoring for your work. They've become Mm -hmm. fans in the process. And it's exactly what you're saying, whether it was the beauty brand or whether it was your podcast now having built that platform for Sway and you looking at Sway and saying, wait a minute, this is getting traction. People care about this. Can I perhaps expand this to be a media brand? And so again, it, it's that platform that you've built up. And I think that's just solid advice for anybody, especially in this climate when things like social media uh, play such an important role. But we just have to remember that all those people we're reaching out to at some point need to convert to something. Um, mm-hmm, they need absolutely. to, they need to have something to buy. They need to have something to access. They need to have a way to connect with the brand. Um, and so that's what you've given them with the podcast and now with Sway. So go, let's go back to something you mentioned a little earlier. You, you did say you have a master's degree or I think you said you were, um, um, a scientist. So I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll paint a, a bigger picture here. You have a master's degree in biomedical engineering and a bachelor's in biochemistry and molecular biology. I'm so proud that I was able to just say all that, never <laughs> mind that you actually have all that behind you. Um, you did some work in cancer research and actually as a scientist. And then you come up with decision, some uh, this decision at some point in your life to say, hey, mom and dad and self, you said this to yourself as well, Mm -hmm. I think I don't want to do this. I think I want to do X. So was X what we know you to be doing now to be playing this media mogul role? Or was there, were there baby steps in between leaving science and entering something else? And perhaps the beauty brand was the baby step. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I honestly didn't know. And to be honest, most people are in that phase where they, where they struggle. They know what they don't want, but they don't know what they want. So yeah. and that's always good because I tried it out. And it's not that I didn't want it. I, I actually loved what I did. I really enjoyed being part of the research scene. And especially that, you know, cancer research is very close to my heart. And that was always something I wanted to do, specifically breast cancer, um, as it's something I also still worked with the foundations as Miss New York to raise money for, for that cause. So it's still very close to me. I did medical missions. I've always cared about it from a nonprofit cause aspect versus a career. And mm-hmm. that's something I came to find out when I enjoyed doing these medical missions more and paying more out of pocket than actually going to work and getting paid to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I realized, okay, research is not so, I, I'm not, I wasn't like really into it. And also I think I wasn't taken as seriously as I wanted to be taken seriously because of my pageant history as well. And that's something that is, again, playing a big part right now in my brand is, you know, we are always put in buckets. So when I was as a scientist, um, a lot of my fellow Live researchers were mostly men, male um, researchers, and and just really looked at me as someone incapable just because I would also on weekend train for pageantry. And then once a year, I would compete um, in a pageant uh, contest. And so they really looked down on that. 
And that made me really feel uncomfortable in my Mm -hmm. environment. So then I decided, all right, maybe the research side, it wasn't for me. Let me try the public facing communication and public relations side of biotech. So I went on in New York to work for two major agencies that represented major biotech companies and startups from the investor relations side and from the public relations side. And I did a bit of both. And my job was basically to help translate the complicated science and technology that these startups come up with to patients and advocacy groups and doctors in a way that was easily um, understandable for someone that didn't go to school for science. Uh, and that, I think, I, I definitely like that a lot. Um, but again, then I realized that the corporate world, you know, going to a nine to five job and sitting in a cubicle and doing the exact same thing every single day and just mostly be uh, interacting with a computer all day long was not for me. That's when I realized also I love advocating for something. I love being public facing. I love doing interviews mm-hmm. and I love being creative. I'm, I'm very creative. And then my job didn't allow me to um, act on my ideas, didn't allow me to even propose my ideas to my board and to my my team at the time, because obviously you're like, not a president of a big company. So your ideas don't matter. And so I started feeling a bit more restricted in my role. And I just knew I was capable of more. I was capable of creating ideas, executing on them, and really leading um, by example and by training. And so those are all the things that I figured out and I knew. But I never thought, okay, I'm going to be a media startup founder that kind of just happened by accident and now thinking back i'm like it all makes sense i mean this is the exact perfect startup i need to be part of i was gonna say it's interesting even just to hear about how some of that media training and interviewing people and all of that came from your biomedical background like it sort of it all started preparing you and Mm -hmm. also as we talk about and i'm going to get into this in a second you had firsthand experience, not just through the pageant work, but as a scientist, um, as a woman who was a scientist, you started to feel some of the um, stereotypes around Mm -hmm. that. And that really is informing the work you're doing now. You had uh, firsthand accounts of those things. And so you can speak to them with uh, authority. And so in both of those platforms, both uh, your podcast and your digital, um, do you call it a digital magazine? I want to be appropriate. Yeah, okay. a digital publication. Okay. Yeah. Through a digital, your digital publication, you um, are really trying to highlight and you're committed to challenging these stereotypes. Can you share with us um, some of the specific ways in which you hope to do that and how you hope to ultimately change the status quo around being a female entrepreneur. And then I want to invite something else into that is also being a Muslim woman in America. How, what is mm-hmm. it that you, I want to bring all of you into this and how do you mm-hmm. hope to challenge those things? That's a really big undertaking. One that I, I think needs, needs work and is deserving of it but can you give us some specifics as to how you hope this digital publication and you playing a media mogul role will do that? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think it's all in the brand and the content right now that we cover. So we're starting off obviously with 
um, challenging those stereotypes by bringing into light and um, bringing to the forefront of media content these women that are themselves challenging these stereotypes on a daily basis. So the first thing that needs to happen here in order to really do this on a full scale is to read about an increased representation of women like myself. Because at the time, I thought I was the like exception or the, the, the outcast. I was like, well, maybe this is weird. I can't be the only one that is going through these stereotypes in both my worlds and pageantry and in science and now in business. I'm like, there has to be more stories of this kind of treatment that need to come forward in order for us to even acknowledge as a society that this is happening. You know, most of the time when you read these female forward um, content platforms, magazines, um, et cetera, you only see one side of the woman being portrayed. You either read Cosmo, you read uh, Al Vogue, et cetera, and it's all about the appearance of the woman. And if it's a resource or how to piece, it's about sex tips, weight loss tips, um, fashion brands you should be wearing to do so and so, beauty brands you should be buying to look like Kylie Jenner or the Kardashians or whatnot. It's always physical appearance driven versus internal and self development. And then you look at the business publishers, which clearly have a lot of smart content, and that's something. That's mostly what I've been reading in the past few years. But the problem with them is they don't really appeal with, to the younger generation of women. Like, let's say you have an 18-year-old daughter. Would she pick up a Forbes or would she log into Forbes.com to read the latest? Probably not. She's on Cosmo. So we wanted to create a brand that's in between, that appeals to the younger generation of women, but also has content that will make her smarter, add value to her life, help her with her self-development, make her financially secure, independent, because the more confident you are in yourself and the more women you see out there that are fighting for who they are and embracing it as a full, um, the more capable you will be to become the next generation of leaders. Um, so we're hoping to simply uh, combine aesthetic and feel and brand essence with content that is extremely smart and valuable in order for us to really hit home with this new generation of women. I love it. And I um, am the mother of a 14-year-old daughter. So um, keep it up because I want her to be able to read Sway and to grow up uh, reading smart content about women in their 20s. Absolutely. And, I'm on it. I'm um, on it. Uh, okay. It's it's your task. I'm, I'm after you if you don't get the yeah, job it's, done. Yeah, it's like essentially <laughs> creating the next generation of Vogue, yeah. but for the new generation of women that actually want to be badasses, they want to be leaders, they want to be at the forefront of innovation, of politics, of tech and everything. So Vogue has been something we all as women now grew up with because it was like the holy grail of being a badass, but more on like fashion model. And, and to me, when I grew up, that's what I thought success was. I thought I had to be skinny. I had to look like Carly Claus or someone like that. Like I had to look like the typical models that Vogue would talk about. But now we're trying to create the new next gen Vogue, which embraces all kinds of women with all kinds of background, shape, race, uh, religion, and achievements. And I feel like the the climate is on your side. That the mm -hmm. um, sort of raised consciousness has is allowing for this, and people are hungry for it. And you're giving them permission to uh, consider 
what redefining uh, being a woman, being a young woman, being uh, a woman who wants to pursue something outside of just the way she looks and wants to spend money and time uh, on those things. So um, keep up, keep up the good and very important work. I, I want to also, I, I don't want to leave without this because I think this is really important uh, once again in this time. How are you able to do just that? You've talked about doing that for young women. So we've mm-hmm. hit, you know, kind of the millennial uh, piece of it. We've hit the fact that they're women. So the gender piece of it, but I want to talk about, um, you as, somebody who came to the States in high school, who um, Mm -hmm. went back to Morocco, came back um, and, uh, you know, to finish your career, your college career, how is it and how has it been for somebody like you as a Muslim American woman to deal with those stereotypes outside of youth, outside of gender? Um, What are the things that that has given you an appetite for in, in terms of addressing and equalizing and normalizing for people? Well, I think just going through it myself really gave me the appetite and the platform to want to uh, prevent this from happening to the next generation. And, and I think you, you said this earlier, this is the, the right time for it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think more and more women now from what I see, are willing to step up and speak about what's not right, the stereotypes they're facing, the sexual harassment in different industries, um, the reproductive rights, healthcare, everything that we've been struggling with internally and never really had the guts to speak about, now we have more and more women wanting to do that. And that that puts my brand into an advantage. So for mm-hmm. me, I'm like, well, I can be, I can create given that my personal life story encompasses all of those mm-hmm. being a Muslim, being a woman, being a beauty queen, being a scientist. So it's all very, uh, you know, tangled up, but I've always been multidimensional on so many levels. And I also grew up in different cultures and countries and continents, actually. So I think my personal brand, my story really appeals to not only white women, also Muslim women, Arab women, European women, African women. I mean, I'm in the intersection of all the cultures and also all the careers. I mean, being also a scientist in, in research and medicine, to being a missionary, um, traveling the world with nonprofits, now being a beauty queen and then a scientist and a businesswoman. That's I've lived it all through mm-hmm. different perspectives. And because of that, it gives me an edge over other media brands to pick the right content, pick the right messaging, pick the right branding that will resonate with not only a new generation of women, but different cultures um, different religions and different industries. And it strikes me as you, I mean, that's your specific story. And so that equips you to be a person who can lead the charge in opening the, these doors and having this conversation. But each woman who's reading this, each woman who you've interviewed in a podcast, each woman who's being interviewed on the pages of Sway, each of them bring their own complexities and Mm -hmm. their own diversities into um, their story and things that have complicated their trajectory or their path, whether it's their career or otherwise. And so it's almost like 
you set the tone and then it allows for all these other complexities to come out. And then we get to identify and see ourselves in those stories. So by Mm -hmm. you sharing your story, it allows other people to share their story and in turn allows the reader or the listener to find a little bit of herself in each of those. And it's brilliant. I think it's a testament to why we say it's so valuable and so important to really focus on the things that make you unique and make you, I think for so long that meant the things that were, you were a little bit, you know, were a little bit odd in, in you. And it was like, don't be afraid of the the little Mm -hmm. weirdo living inside all of us. But I think what it actually means is identify those things and, and, and put those things at the center of who you are because they're the things that actually make you shine the brightest. They give you the biggest voice. They give you a platform, which we talked about earlier. And all the things that have made Iman who she is have now become your platform and are giving exactly. you this, this capacity to do the work that you do. Um, so you have this amazing platform. You've developed this, multiple platforms actually, you've developed this vision for what... Um, this type of medium can do and who you can speak to. Now it's the raising money piece. And you you talked mm-hmm. earlier about how it's taken a little longer and it's, it's always a little harder than we think it is. Um, and, and there's a lot of conversation. There are a lot of articles around the VC world, not being very accessible to women, not, not warming up to, um, what women have to offer in terms of their sort of entrepreneurial, um, endeavors. What are your thoughts on raising capital as a woman and the VC environment? What's been your experience? Uh, it hasn't been an easy journey. And to be honest, when I went into it at first, I never really wanted to go at it from a woman's perspective. Like I didn't want to be like, oh, it's going to be hard because I'm a woman. Sure. I never even really that way and I still tell most women nowadays even with all these stories that are coming out right now it's good we're talking about it but by no means does that mean we have to adopt the victim mindset just being a woman does not put you already in a disadvantage yeah I like it Mm -hmm. so but again it doesn't mean that it won't you know happen or that it doesn't exist it exists but how we yeah yeah so of course the more meetings I would take especially the first six months the more I realized a lot of the time at these meetings, especially when it comes to men and VCs or just male, male angel investors, a lot of it focused on my physical appearance and especially even more when they find out that I have a pageant background or that I was Miss New York. So that's like the bulk of the conversation. And that's not really why I'm here. You know, I'm not here to talk about that. I mean, it's great. Thanks for like acknowledging it, but let's talk about the opportunity I'm here to present to you. So I always try to position it that way. I don't, I'm not desperate for investors. I never will be. Even if I have to put my business on hold until I find the right ones, I'm always open to that. It's not the end of the world. I would rather do that than have to deal with investors that are going to make my life miserable Mm. and also that are going to completely destroy the vision behind my company. Because Again, I didn't do this because I wanted to start a business. I did this because I, I'm, I am on a mission and I'm not going to stop until I see the change I hope it will make. So I always try to really um, kind of accentuate and emphasize that point. 
And it doesn't really stop most people of making inappropriate comments, which I've talked about recently on Harper's Bazaar and Cosmo and Harper's or Hearst Live. Um, there's the piece entitled, I was told I was too pretty to be CEO, which has gotten a lot of great responses. And it's so great to hear more women come out with their versions of that story. Um, so it's definitely out there. It's happening. But I think at the end of the day, you acknowledge that you stand up for yourself, which I do. I walk out when it's the right time to walk out. You don't need to put yourself in a position where you feel like you have to put up with that kind of behavior because you are worth more than just your physical appearance. And if someone just right away um, seems to be interested in just what you look like or what you can do for him, then you need to walk out immediately and also report that to the right people at that VC firm, if it's an organization, if it's just an individual, then you definitely cut ties with that person and move on. And you can always also um, warn other women in the community that are raising money that that investor is not appropriate with female founders. So I think it's important to really keep uh, building up the network of support around this community because a lot of women came to me and told me, hey, this person, you should not even approach him for investment because here's what he did with me. And sometimes they have evidence to prove it. So then you can't question that. Mm -hmm. And you try to stay away from those kind of people because you don't really need that when you're raising money. It's so stressful already. And I'm not going to lie. It really discouraged me from even pursuing this for a whole two weeks. I cried. Um, I really thought I would never be able to do so. I thought about hiring a guy just to raise money for mm -hmm. me and I'll be in the, in the backseat, like just not, you know, dealing with investors myself. But then I realized I'm like, no, you know, I cried it out. I felt sad for a little bit and then I got up and then went to the right people and ended up raising money. Actually, my first lead investor is a male investor who's really been very helpful and resourceful. So it's definitely important to also remember that there are some really great men out there supporting women for what they do and are very feminist and stand up for our dreams and business aspirations. So you need to spend more time looking for those kind of people. Yeah. And it's versus, interesting to me that there were people, even knowing the kind of investment you were looking for, that they were, uh, w were willing to take that meeting, looking at the Sway yeah. platform and then, um, still, you know, be inappropriate or, or perhaps it was precisely why they were willing to take that meeting. I'm not sure. One of the things that strikes me as you're telling that story is on one hand, we say, and I shared this sentiment, not to be a victim and take that victim mentality. And yet you're sharing a very real story. And we've heard a few real stories in the media as of late around people being treated, um, being sexually harassed and having to report that. And so mm -hmm. I think while we don't want to remain victims, we need to also be willing to say we were victimized and we need to speak up mm -hmm. and out against that and then move on. Remaining, you know, assuming the victim status beyond that is where we run into problems. But calling a spade a spade and being able to say, this is not right, is also helping 
our sister that comes after us, the woman who comes into the meeting after you leave, and hopefully this guy has been eliminated or has been um, in some way, I hope, I hope, I hope, um, reprimanded and has uh, learned his lesson. And Mm -hmm. on the flip side, what it's uncovering is there are more and more women, uh, not very many, but there there are more coming out of the woodwork, women owned VC firms or VC firms that are set up to look at um, enterprises that women are bringing to the table. And so in an ideal world, it wouldn't make a difference and it would be a great idea, would be funded, period. But I think until then, until we can um, bridge the gap and have the work through the dialogue that needs to happen, we need to be aware of that. So I really, really appreciate you telling that story. I don't imagine it was a fun story to share, but I think Mm -hmm. it's important that you're uh, able to be honest with our listeners and to say, you know what, it is really hard and you might find yourself in a really precarious situation and walk away. Uh, no, no idea is worth losing who you are as a human being. Um, and if, if the idea is what we hope it is, then it will, it will eventually have the legs that it needs to, to move forward. So mm-hmm, thanks for sharing that, Iman. So I want to flip the conversation a little bit. You, It's so clear that you bring so much to the table, and I'd love for our audience to benefit from your wisdom and your experience in so many different capacities. And so I would like to hear and have you share with those listening, as someone who has shifted her professional trajectory, how do you advise somebody who's sort of feeling like you must have felt as a scientist and who's saying, I want to consider leaving whatever this is behind, but maybe doesn't know what she wants, what's next. Not happy with current status quo, but not sure what's next. Any tips you have for her? That's that's a tough one because um, I don't really think that there is a secret um, or like a special pill for that one. But I think for me, what, what has worked is what I learned is that there is no perfect timing, right? A lot of people, when they feel like they're not happy at their job or where they are in life, they think, okay, maybe next year I'll plan around moving here. And then I'll like plan everything until then. And that way I move with a job. I move with this, I move with that. So they try to put all the pieces together so that they can make it happen. And most of the time it never works that way. I was there. I wanted to move to New York for three years and I always wanted to plan perfectly. And every year that passes by, I'm like, no, it's not the right timing. Oh, um, I don't have all the pieces together. Maybe I'll wait until I have a better job lined up. I have a better this. And then I just end up pushing it and pushing it. And then the reason why the way I even moved ironically to New York and started shifting my life is out of nowhere. I didn't plan for it. I actually um, went on a medical mission to Morocco. And then on my way back to Denver, I had a layover in New York and I stayed in New York for a week. (laughs) It's a really long layover. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm just going to stay here with a friend. And I'm going to go through all the job postings tonight on Craigslist, on Indeed, whatever it is I can find, send a bunch of emails and see if I can land a job in one week. If I don't, then that means it's not meant to be yet. So I'll go back and I can always start over over there. Nothing is holding me back. So I ended up getting a job in two days and I started like, I landed on a Monday, got an interview on Tuesday and I started on like Thursday. 
So, and I, I, I could never have planned for that sure. perfectly. So the, the advice here is to really, if, if, you, if you're thinking about it all the time, if you're really miserable where you are, if you really know for a fact that this is not where you're supposed to be and you can do more and you can be better or capable of more, you should just take a leap of faith and quit that job. Even if you don't have anything lined up yet, of course, have some savings just to survive um, and start figuring it out then. Because once you find yourself in that situation where you don't have a job and you don't have an income and you need to figure something out, you are going to make it happen no matter what, because you don't have a choice. When you're comfortable, you don't make things Hmm. happen because you're comfortable where you are. You have an income, you have money. It's working out for now. You're like, I'll just deal with it next week, maybe next month, maybe next year. And it never happens. When you're in a situation where you're basically, you have no choice, but to make it happen, you will always find something better. And it might not be the best job you thought for yourself. It will be definitely a stepping stone in a different direction than where you are today. And that's progress. Yeah. And I like, I like what you said about doing something to get yourself out of your comfort zone. And for different people, we all have different sort of tolerances. And so what being, what for one person means being out of a comfort zone might for someone else mean something else. And I appreciate that of, okay, if you're unhappy, but you're living this kind of day-to-day humdrum, you know, nothing, nothing is pushing you, do something that will push you. And if Mm -hmm. it means launching something on the side, great. If it means, you know, like you mentioned, if some, if you're able to do that and you don't have any dependents and you can quit a job and, and really take that leap, then take that leap. And, and for sure you will be forced to make some, some decisions and do some things. And I would also probably include something that you did, which is you were driven by uh, this thing about New York. It was like, I want to be there. And so there was something that led you. You didn't necessarily know what you were going to do once you were there, but that was an important piece of it for you. So maybe identify, even if it's out of order, you know, is it a place? Is it a, is it a, a job title? Is it a, the type of people you work with? Find something that resonates and take action toward that thing. Um, Mm -hmm. that's good. I like the comfort zone piece. That's a good one. And so now you've done that and you went through that and other people are, um, in your shoes thinking, oh yeah, the digital space, I really need to break it into that, but it's so noisy. How do I do that? Whether it's on social media, whether it's podcast, whether it's a digital platform, what is it that you would advise them to do to really get clients or followers or their, you know, whoever their coveted audience is to start to pay attention to who they are. You talked about the podcast and it sounded like that was met with great success out of the bat or um, out of the gate rather. What do you think people should do with all this noise, with all of the, there are so many options. I think people don't know where to begin how do you advise somebody who's really looking to break through that digital platform or that digital space? In terms of starting yeah. their platform or where do they go to read? Where do they go to start their platform or how, okay. how do they distinguish themselves in starting their platform? I think it starts with, first of all, self-awareness. So if you don't know yourself in a way that you know what you stand for, what your mission is, what your voice is, you probably will never be able to break out of the noise because people nowadays, 
when they pay attention to a certain publication, a certain content creator, or someone just on social media, like a social media influencer, they're usually drawn to someone's voice and what they stand for, basically their personal brand versus just someone who's posting to post and doesn't really have a train of thought or something they are advocating for specifically mm. or like, you know, being a, a thought leader in a specific area. So most people, if they want to know about, you know, media or entrepreneurship, they follow people like Gary Vaynerchuk because he's definitely, um, for example, really identified his niche and was able to break through the noise because of his way of sharing his voice in a very authentic way. When you listen to Gary, you really relate to it in so many levels. And, and you know, some, some people hate him, some people love him. Sure. But at the end of the day, he doesn't care because he preaches what he practices. So I, there are many people nowadays, and I actually just did a status recently about this, where people create content just to create content because they want to be part of the game. They want to be part of this new generation of being followed, listened to, heard, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, most of them, when you really look at their track record or even do your own research on them, are not even practicing what they're preaching. And that makes you look bad. To me, that's inauthentic, that's unoriginal, that's being fake. And why would I listen to you for advice or for your opinions or expertise if you haven't proven that you were able to achieve something because of your advice. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like you really, really want to hone in on what your voice stands for, your authentic um, angle, what you bring to the table, and how your personal life story, how your personal brand translates into the content you're putting out there. I People love that love you used Gary as yeah. an example because he is so polarizing. And yeah. I think we need to be okay with being polarizing. We need to be okay with having a group of people who will love us and a group of people who won't because it distinguishes um, us from, you know, from the, the noise as we've been talking about. And Gary is somebody who everything about him, the speed in which he speaks, the, you know, the volume, <laughs> the way he mm -hmm. looks, the, the titles of his books, they're all consistent, as you said, and they Very all, consistent. they all continue to attract the same people. And he doesn't really care. Um, he doesn't mm -hmm. need to care anymore about those people who are not interested in him. In fact, they're a waste of his time. And so they can move on and find somebody else who has a voice that's more in line with what he has to offer. So I love that you used him as an example. Thanks mm -hmm. for that. Um, okay, so you have, you're running two platforms. You talked about then going into video at some point with Sway. You've talked about your philanthropic work. You're a very, very, very busy woman. And before this podcast even started, you and I were chatting and you're in Denver and then you've got to come to LA and then you're back in New York and you have a crazy schedule. So how does somebody like you kind of keep everything organized? What tools, tips, resources, what things have you found to be helpful? They can be apps or just daily business practices that you can share with our audience. I'm still very old school. And I actually did a story recently on my Instagram about this. I have these old school, huge lawyer notepad type of thing that, you know, the yellow ones. Oh, I know that, them. Yes, I have yeah, them too. <laughs> that little, and then I have this pink little notebook 
that basically has my whole life vision in it and helps me execute. So every time I have an idea or um, a project that I think would be great for the brand or for me or someone I need to reach out to, I always jot things down in my little pink notepad, which is basically what things I need to execute on. And then the yellow notepad is the scribbling thing that helped me think through um, what I need to do today versus what I need to do tomorrow and basically helps me cross off things. I still do it the old school way. I wish I could tell you an app I use, but I don't. <laughs> I just work better that way. I tried the reminder app on your phone. I yeah. tried the, the notes one, which a lot of people love using. I literally, if I don't write it man, like by myself, I, I will not remember it. So yeah. for me, I think it works that way. And it's just really, it's about what works for you. So, um, Every time I start my day, I definitely always look at what my calendar looks like. Actually, I look at it sometimes the night before just so I'm prepared, if, especially if I have an early, an early start, sure. um, and make sure that I um, completely organize how my commute will be, how much time I have in between to get anything done. And I try to make sure that all my meetings are in the same area, especially in New York, so I don't waste time commuting. Um, and then... Of course, I have my office hours, quote unquote, that I do, which is my email time. I think it's really important to not be distracted by email throughout your day because otherwise you will never get done, especially Amen. if you get bombarded yes. all the time. So my email hours are 10 a.m. to 11.30 and then late in the afternoon, um, like at the end of the day when I'm all done with meetings and stuff around from 4 to 6 p.m., you know, give or take. But I try to not look at my email during the day, but if it's something important that pops up, I always try to answer on a timely manner. But if it can wait, I will definitely wait just because otherwise you will literally not get anything done. Um, and I live by my calendar. If it's not on my calendar, it's, I tell yeah. people it's not happening. It's not happening. I love that. And I want to go back to the yellow notepad. So something I learned recently is um, one of my, I think it was my daughter's class, her English teacher required a yellow notepad, these legal notepads. And one of the parents said, what, if they have a white one, it doesn't work. And she said, actually, there's science around uh, writing on the yellow notepad allows for more creativity. Something mm -hmm. about that color yellow, I don't know what it is. But when you're doing a first draft of anything, she said, it's best to do it on a yellow notepad and then transfer your final outline to white. And so I loved when you were talking about your yellow was where you jotted everything down and your pink is where things live. And I was like, oh, yes. she's making a case for that. So that's great. Yes. I didn't know that part, but good to know. That I makes know. more sense. It I does. just love it. I Every we, time I see it next to me, I'm like, I want to be creative and write things. <laughs> I want to write things down. We got to find the science behind that. that. That's on you. Okay. So mm -hmm. since you're the scientist, you can go do that research <laughs> I will. Too. I'll let you know. Okay. Thanks. All right. So, so many women, and I really want to um, kind of, you know, so many women are listening, and I want to give you an opportunity to really kind of speak some wisdom to them, not just about, um, you know, podcasting or, or creating a digital publishing platform, but just about being an entrepreneur. Um, you know, it's hard to do this. It's hard to launch. It's hard to stay in the game. It's hard to be kind of the solo vision person and um, keep driving something forward. What is something, a really practical thing that you can say to those women that will just keep them in the game and help equip them for success? 
I think you should always keep your vision in sight and never be afraid to pivot. I think a lot of people with entrepreneurship in general, as most people know, if they're in it, there are a lot of ups and downs. Um, sometimes uh, more often than I'd like it to, I have to pivot many different ways. And it really hurts my feelings sometimes because I'm like, no, I wanted to do it this way because I thought this would work. But then the data shows that this is not how you should do it. So you should pivot. But that does not mean that the, the big picture, the big vision needs to change. At the end of the day, you have that one goal, that big picture that you need to stick to, but you should not be married to your execution style. That's good. You should actually really uh, make it a habit to have at least one or two advisors or mentors that you always check in with when you hit that rut or you have a challenge that you really don't know how to work around. And the biggest mistake I made way for too long is uh, not asking for help. I, I really wanted, I felt like I needed, and I still do feel like I need to prove to the world that I can do it all by myself, mm. that I know all the answers, that I know how to execute on this idea, that I know how to sell people on this vision, that I know how to capture more email audience or more audience emails, that I know how to like grow the audience all by myself. But the truth is I don't. I have the vision. I know what the goals are and I need to be more accepting of the fact that I need people to help me execute on different aspects of it. And sometimes they won't agree with how you want to do it. And that's okay because you brought them for their expertise and you can't be good at everything. So major, major advice is just know your strengths and stick with those. Don't try to be a know-it-all. Don't try to do it all. And don't try to prove that you're strong on all aspects of the business, especially when you're raising money. They know it's all bluff. You can't be good at everything and that's okay. And mm -hmm. I think the more honest you are about it and the more you know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, the more respect people have for you because they know that because of that, you will know who to hire, who to bring in to build an even bigger business than if you did it by yourself. So sure. I love important. that. So hanging on to the vision, keeping that um, prominent and something that we should, you know, move toward, but being willing to pivot in terms of how we achieve that vision and then surrounding yourself with people who have strengths and are able to advise you um, outside of yourself. Um, mm -hmm. That's awesome. Thanks for that, Iman. So um, I so appreciate all the advice you've given and I appreciate all the women who are going to be listening and who are going to see themselves in your story. Thank you for sharing it with us, but I'm not letting you get away just yet. We have this fun little part of the interview that we like to do at the end um, called our quick six. So I'm going to ask you six questions and just um, top of mind, whatever comes up, just shout it out. So do you like to work a nine to five or a flex schedule? Flex schedule. Okay. Would you rather vacation in the mountains or the beach? The beach. Absolutely. Okay. And then uh, working from home or an office? Office. All right. And, oh, you answered that. Gosh, the last few people have been like, well, some days at home, some days at office. So okay, way to stand out. Way to be different. I tried doing the home thing. It's just, I need, I, I need to see people working around me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's, it's, I get a, a lot done when I'm in the office. Mm -hmm. um, and then work alone or with a team? With a team. Okay. 
Oh, isn't that interesting after everything you shared about how much you felt like you had to prove? So it sounds like you've really gotten comfortable with bringing all these people around you and different voices Mm -hmm. and different, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've come to realize that I can't, I've gotten very, very overwhelmed. And as an entrepreneur, you need to know how to delegate. And that's where most people struggle. Sure. Um, Well, that's, that's great. And you're doing the authentic uh, advice and authentic living as, as you talked about earlier. Okay. And now food, sometimes I just say these two words and people don't know what I'm referring to, but we're talking about food here, Thai or Mexican Oh, I just recently discovered Thai food for the first oh, time. So you I'm did? gonna go with Thai. All yeah. right. Do you like it is before. it do you like spicy food? Is that why? Not not a lot, yeah. but this one I can handle. Okay, yeah. Good. Yeah, I love Thai food. Um okay, so we've named um we've named our brand Liberty. We've named this podcast Liberty Sessions. And it is our intention that through the stories that we share with women that they are liberated to pursue their own dreams, visions, uh, ventures, entrepreneurial uh, businesses. Why, uh, why is it important for you to feel liberated or what does it mean for you to be liberated, Iman? It means that I have the liberty and um, capability to execute on my life vision and my aspirations without any limitations or judgments. Oh, that's good. Without any limitations or judgments. Okay. I don't think we've heard that, that whole definition before. I love when we get something that's new and fresh. Thank you for that. And thank you for liberating so many women through your uh, podcast and through Sway. And again, we'll have your digital publishing uh, platform, Sway. And we will have all of those things in our show notes. Uh, we so appreciate this time, Iman, and it's been great to hang out and chat with you. Yeah, thank you so much. This was really fun, and I loved and enjoyed the conversation. And thank you for what you do. This is really important to carry the conversation. And I I love supporting my fellow podcasters. These are the conversations we need to hear more. Thank you. Thank you. And to all you listeners out there, um, check out everything about Iman. Uh, It'll be up on the site by the time you listen to this. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower.